0: This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The COVID 19 pandemic revealed in stark terms that when disaster strikes, it doesn't affect people equally. Although many people insisted that we are all in this together, disparities became starkly visible along lines of race, gender, immigration, and of course, wealth. Today's billionaires, especially those in the tech industry, who believe modern innovations can save us from anything and everything, are struggling with climate change and other similarly inevitable disasters. They're not, it turns out to no one's surprise, trying to figure out how humanity will survive, but rather how they as individuals will survive. My guest, Douglas Rushkoff, is a writer and filmmaker on media technology and popular culture. He's the founder of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism, a professor of media theory and digital economics at C- CUNY, Queens, and a fellow at the Institute for the Future. He joins me now to discuss his latest book, Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. Welcome to the program, Douglas.
1: Hey, good to be with you.
0: So first, let's talk about what it was that got you into this bizarre topic for writing. You were invited by a group of billionaires into a far-off place, and you thought they wanted to talk to you about the future, but turns out they wanted to pick your brain about how they survive climate disaster or other kinds of disasters. Tell us that story in brief.
1: Well, I mean, I, I get invited to do these talks about the digital future all the time, You know, and I'm not a futurist, I'm a presentist, I'm just observant, but I guess that's enough. And usually it's because these are tech investors who want to decide where to place their bets, you know, into which technology. Um, But I got invited out to do this talk, and then instead of bringing me out onto a stage or giving me a mic, they five guys just came into the green room and started peppering me with all these questions about the future and the ones that they really got to the thing that they cared about most was you know uh, alaska or new zealand you know where should they situate their bunkers and we spent the majority of the hour on the strategic and philosophical question of how do i maintain control over my navy SEAL security guards once my money is worthless and it (laughs) It set me off on this journey to figure out how is it that the wealthiest, most powerful people I had ever been in the same room with see themselves as utterly powerless to affect the future, that the best they can do is prepare for the inevitable calamity and then just you know, hang on for dear life. And I ended up really exploring what I started to call the mindset, this Silicon Valley tech billionaire mindset and the way that sort of the the winner-takes-all idea of corporate capitalism combined with that abstract, alienated quality of digital to create this new generation of, you know, uh, almost comedic monsters who really mean to leave us all behind.
0: So you wrote about this encounter, and then you heard from more people, which led you to having access to you know, the kinds of people most ordinary Americans don't have access to, which is this rarefied class of people, the, you know, 0.1%, maybe not even the 1%. Um, And and it is really fascinating for me because I've often wondered, my gosh, we have triple digit temperatures across, you know, California right now. Pakistan is underwater. Jackson, Mississippi is, you know, flooding. And, And yet there are people who have the means to... Do something about this, what are they thinking? They must really feel that they are above or that they can escape disaster. And it turns out they do really feel that they can escape disaster if they sort of innovate their way out of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, what I've come to call the mindset is this belief that if you have enough money and technology, you can spend and build your way uh, uh, away from the problems you're creating by earning money and developing technology in that way. So it's almost as if they wanna build a car that can escape its own exhaust. And part of this is is not out of fear so much as desire. In some ways, this has been their desire all along. I remember um, Stuart Brand told, told us in the technology uh, field said, you know, we are as gods, so we may as well, you know, get good at it. This idea that we really are above nature and above reality that, that and then you look at the work, the philosophies and the business plans of these uh, uh, tech titans, and they're all the same, whether it's Peter Thiel saying, we have to go, as he says in the title of his book, from zero to one that in order to succeed, you have to exist one order of magnitude above everybody else. So the regular people are in businesses competing, and we are one level above that. Or what Tim O'Reilly called Web 2.0, that you don't compete with the other web businesses, you create the site that aggregates those businesses. Or Zuckerberg, once Facebook looks like it's peaking and public opinion turns against it, what does he do? He goes meta- literally meta, as if he's going one step above above that. And it's this, this notion that they really can, like puppeteers, kind of control society from one level above. And I think it, it's different than the era of, you know, Alexander the Great or Caesar, even though you know, Mark Zuckerberg models himself after Augustus Caesar with the haircut and everything. It sets his his role model. But what's different is that the, the digital realm is an abstract realm. Digital really is one level above reality or below reality or certainly apart from reality. And so they get all of these ideas that they can be truly digital, which means to to somehow rise above matter and live in this more ethereal plane.
0: Let's talk about how bizarre the conversations get. Uh, you were able to glean a lot of them that you write about in your book. I imagine that there's so many more that we'll never hear about because we can't really be a fly on the wall during, you know, in, in, during the, the most private and personal discussions between these tech billionaires. But in a future, when, we, uh, when disaster strikes, as we found out during the pandemic, when we have something far, far worse than the pandemic, money will not really be worth much. And as it is, a lot of these tech billionaires aren't really, don't really have access to that much liquid capital. They have, you know, they have, they have holdings and stock holdings and a lot of it is theoretical wealth. They still own real things like mansions, but you can't, you know if your air is polluted what can you do and at some point your money will not be worth much so where do the conversations go and take me specifically through this question of how do we keep the security guards that we hire from turning on us
1: well they go to very dark places i mean these are you have to understand most of the even if we call them genius technologists most of them were plucked from college when they were freshmen Right. (laughs) They came up with some idea in their dorm room before they've taken history or economics or ethics or philosophy. So So they may be smart,
0: but they're not wise.
1: Right. So they're really good at programming, but they they haven't looked at history. So their education about the future really comes from you know zombie movies and, and and science fiction shows on amazon prime which are are great and interesting for scenarios but where they go is well what if i'm the only one who knows the combination of the refrigerator where we keep the food or what if we have implants or shock collars in the guards so that we could control them or what if i have robots that can discipline the other ones and or or you know hire people with certain genetic modifications or start cloning certain people now so they they have really kind of outlandish understandings because they keep doubling down on this idea that that you can control other human beings or that that winning somehow means uh, separating from others you know and what what I was telling them and they were they were laughing it was like I was Woody Allen or someone in there I would say, I said to them uh well the the way to make sure that your head of security doesn't shoot you in the bunker is to pay for his daughter's bat mitzvah today you know and they were laughing because it was like oh my head of security is probably not jewish um That's not the point. I mean, what I was trying to say was you could try being the only way to make sure your security people don't kill you later is to be really nice to them today. You know, but that's not. You you were trying to get them to to
0: think about humanity as a whole, but they just kept wanting to think about individuals.
1: Exactly. Mm. And then these are the guys who who this becomes their 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 business philosophy and their their practical philosophy as well. So when, when you wonder, you know, how can a company like Epson, the printer company, why would they intentionally make printers that won't print after a certain number of pages, that they shut themselves down? There's software in there that locks you out, that won't let you replace the part that just says, no, you can't use this anymore. You have to throw it in a big toxic waste dump. So I understand why the company does it so that you have to buy another machine but the guy in the company has this insulation equation in his head he understands yes i am drawing more more resources from the planet i'm dumping more poison on the planet but i believe i am making enough of a profit by doing that that i will be able to outrun the disasters that I am also creating. And what I'm trying to do is to flip that mindset to say, no, 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 why don't you just not do all that bad stuff? Then you won't need so much money as to es- need to escape or get off the planet altogether.
0: A lot of us who uh, think about climate change, climate justice, um, think about sustainable agriculture, access to food, we need food to live. At the very basic things, we need food to live, we need water to drink. Um, hmm. in order to survive. What is their plan? Where, what, what dark places do the tech billionaires go in order to ensure a steady supply of food and water in the post-apocalyptic future where they are building their own bubbles and bunkers now uh, and plan to live in?
1: I mean, most of their plans don't work. You know, hmm. So there's, some are talking about using these, because they won't have that much topsoil. They have these, big plastic tubes that they'll put the topsoil in and then grow things right out of it. So all you have to do is water the tube. You don't have to water the planet where, where it would go off. But what they don't realize is when you contain topsoil in a plastic tube like that, one thing goes wrong and all the topsoil gets corroded. A fungus comes and all of a sudden your whole thing's gone. Or rooftop agriculture or vertical farming or, um, you know, cloning of this or that. It It really... It just doesn't work you know there the the few that I've talked to, like this really sweet guy I mean very you know red state Republican you know quasi maga guy um JC Cole is trying to make these you know armed guarded sustainable farms and his idea is that, and I said to him, you know, because he's going to have guards and, and, and seeds and chickens and all that. And the idea is that what the billionaire does is now you pay like $10 million to guarantee a spot. And then when the disaster happens, you hop in your helicopter or your special jet pack and you get to one of these farms and then you can live there. But part of the investment is not just for the farm itself, but is to educate others. Because what he said to me, because he is clever he said to me look his his main fear is not motorcycle gangs with 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 you know machine guns coming to the farm but the woman at the end of the driveway with a starving baby mm. what do you do about that and so what he wants to do is to have some of the money that's invested in the farms goes towards educating the public on how to make their own sustainable farms elsewhere so there'll be fewer people you know with with guns and pitchforks coming after them but for that reason alone, a lot of these tech billionaires don't want to invest in his project because they think, well, he, you're leaking money by trying to do an education business as well. And he's like, no. This so is he's, actually the, he's the, s-
0: the humanist among them.
1: <laughs> right. He's the humanist among them. And if for no other reason than self-interest, the fewer people who are starving, mm-hmm. the fewer people are going to be trying to get onto your, onto your survival farm
0: these are the people who have made the most money in our society. What does that say about the way our economy is designed and how that in and of itself is central to why we have a climate crisis in the first place?
1: I mean, it says pretty awful things about how our economy is designed. I mean, I really, in the book, I really traced two, I guess, two main historical threads that led to this, you know? And and one of them, yes, is capitalism, because capitalism is, while it's great for building things up early on, for the most part, when you take your technology idea and go to the venture capitalist, and he forces you to pivot from your cool pro-human idea to an extractive one, It's kind of like selling your restaurant to the mob. You know, the business is no longer about itself. It's about running money and creating 100x or 1,000x returns for someone who's then going to execute what's called an exit strategy, right? So if you have a a landscape of digital businesses dominating our society that are all dependent on an exit strategy, you're going to end up in a world that requires an exit strategy, which is where these guys are. And the other main thread really is you know, science and technology, which are brilliant and beautiful. And I love tech, we're talking through tech, tech is great, but you know, I went back to the uh, kind of the foundings of empirical science and found these great quotes attributed to Francis Bacon, where he says things like, you know, science will let us take nature by the forelock, hold her down and submit her to our will. So, you know, science and the industrial technology that followed was really so much about containing nature, containing nature, which is like, I mean, what
0: the quote that you gave sounded like a rape fantasy.
1: It is a rape, right? Hold Hold her down and submit her to our will. So if science is founded on this sort of this idea that we can control and rape nature get from her the fruits that we want without her being able to talk back or fight back as long as we can outrun nature you know we are dominating you know so but capitalism and technology and science sort of all dovetail together and that's that's how you get in the sickest um uh uh I guess, the sickest spot in the room, and I've been in the room, is where you have scientists, um, you know, uh, uh, trying to impress Jeffrey Epstein, because Epstein had that model in his head right? It, Je- Epstein takes folks like Richard Dawkins and other scientistic atheists at their word. There's nothing going on here except selfish genes competing for dominance. So what's the natural course then? Well, Jeffrey figured it out. Well, then I want to have dormitories for young women who I impregnate, and they will carry on my seed, my race. I will extend, you know, my, my genes. That's, that's how you get that weird sickness, but it plays out in technology too, with the young tech bros wanting to put a, you know, an Oculus on their head and and migrate, you know, rise up from the chrysalis of matter into pure consciousness and live in a Web three blockchain crypto fantasy, running around with nothing below the waist is really interesting. Those little characters Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> had, they were waist up. It's like, well, uh, if I'm in the virtual world, I want I want a, no, I want a full bodysuit. But but it's like they they're they're so ungrounded in reality they really do the intention is to leave conditions on the ground behind this is kind of what made me more of a marxist than i ever was i realized he was right conditions on the ground matter the people in pakistan who are underwater matter what's happening in pakistan is about to happen in florida even the mayor of miami beach is saying we're going to be underwater and people are still investing in those properties as if there is no tomorrow So it's it's an odd combination of denial. And I would argue fantasy that on some level, these guys want the bad thing to happen because that's what justifies living the way they do. I never felt justified having Amazon Prime until COVID happened. Then I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of good that I have Fresh Direct because I don't have to go out, you know, and and that's not a side of myself i liked seeing and that's in the end what motivated me to write a book to say wait a minute this is not the way let's look at these tech bro billionaire lunatics let's laugh at what they're doing so that musk and teal and zuckerberg and all these guys so they look small rather than big right. and so that the disaster they're afraid of looks entirely manageable by more reasonable people people who are willing just to help each other out
0: and I think that is such an important point because we valorize these men and they're mostly, if not all, men. Um, and we valorize them. We raise them up on pedestals. Elon Musk, you know, brilliant genius. And uh, they must be because they've made billions while the rest of us are slogging, struggling. And, you know, maybe someday if we work really hard or are really smart, we can be like them. And that, <laughs> that is our collective mindset, it, is it not, that, that we need to yeah. change?
1: Yeah and in a weird way the ones who valorize them most are the conspiracy theorists. Hmm. You know are the QAnon people even if the QAnon people hate the technologists because they they're afraid of a technocracy and total control they're the only ones who really fully believe that these guys have those capabilities to put nanobots into vaccines and control reality. So on the one hand, you have these kind of leftist tech bros that are kind of technocratic people who go to Davos and Burning Man and come up with these, you know, total solution software stacks, the great reset to re-control reality, to go to game B is what they call it and, and have a kind of technologized second society. And on the other side, you have, the the kind of the Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, uh, 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 Steve Bannon people who are called accelerationists, and what they want to do is just pedal to the metal, which just destroys everything, just scorched earth. This whole system doesn't work. Tear it down and start something new. And in either case, you're you're not just doing the truly simple, uh, <laughs> the much simpler, friendlier, easier uh, theory of change, which is just help out your neighbors. It's not. It's not that hard.
0: Right. I mean th- the most direct, most reliable approach that would not require their crazy solutions would be to ensure humanity survives. And I think the big part is of their of their mindset is that they don't consider themselves part of humanity. Right.
1: Or or if they are going to save humanity, yes, they'll do any solution that also makes a hundred or a thousand X returns. Right. You know, and and, and ensures that they a, remain right. up there. Right. Any solution that involves people doing less, enjoying each other more, anything with that dirty word degrowth in it gets them all upset.
0: Douglas, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find out more about your work? You have a website you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I'm um, just go to uh, rushkov.com and you can see everything. You'll find out about my podcast Team Human and the book Survival of the Richest, which is available everywhere in in print and digital and audio and Just come over. I'll read it out loud to you, whatever you want.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much, Doug, and good luck (laughs) to you. Thank you. My guest is Douglas Rushkoff. Uh, He's a writer, filmmaker, podcaster, founder of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism, professor of media theory and digital economics at CUNY Queens, fellow at the Institute for the Future, and his latest book we've just been discussing is called Survival of the Richest, Escape Fantasies of the Tech Billionaires. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU on Sonali.